0: Welcome to the Conquer and Win podcast, where men learn how to conquer all challenges and win at life, develop self-mastery, and get success lessons from powerful guests to enrich your journey as a man. Today's episode features the editor-in-chief of Skeptic Magazine, a columnist on Scientific American, debunker of pseudoscientific thinking, and longtime nemesis of Deepak Chopra. Michael joins me today to talk about the scientific search for the afterlife, immortality, and utopias. kind of in your own words here, what is the, the main synopsis of the book, Heavens on Earth?
1: Uh, well, the the main focus is, is on the scientific attempts to achieve immortality, create your own afterlife, either here on Earth, politically through utopias, or to actually create a you know a, a new body and brain that lasts forever. Um, and so, uh, you know, the book is titled Heavens, plural on Earth, because I, I deal with all the uh, various religious forms of immortality in the afterlife in, in the form of heaven But uh, the primary focus is really on uh, what I call the afterlife for atheists That is people that don't actually think there's an uh, an afterlife to go to in the religious sense But that we have to create it ourselves
0: hmm. like,
1: e- again either um, uh, You know utopia, a utopia uh, on Earth, or you know, you just live forever. Like, like, like Woody Allen said, I, I don't want to live on through my work. I want to live on in my apartment. Uh, you know, that's kind of kind of what these these guys are are trying to do. There's you know Uber science and tech, um, uh, you know, enthusiasts who think that uh, death, aging, and death is really just an engineering problem of you know biological genetic engineering problem. You just have to reprogram the cells and and our DNA, and we can live forever. So. Um, it's an interesting idea. I like it a lot that people are trying to do this because, you know, maybe along the way they'll stumble upon cures for cancer and Alzheimer's and senility and things like that. Uh, but I don't think it's realistic in terms of what they'll actually be able to do in terms of uh, breaching the upper wall of about 120 to 125 years that people can live. So, uh, you know, there, therein lies the problem.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. What can come up from research that uh, isn't the main focus of the research, like Viagra, for example. But uh, who knows what's going to come up from trying to expand people's lives? because we, we don't know what we don't know.
1: That's right. And 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 on the on the dark side of that, you know, if if people suddenly started living 150 to 200 years, would there be uh, new medical conditions? Undoubtedly, there would be that you know we never even thought of and so those would have to be solved which is fine you know that's that's what we do we solve problems but you know let's let's move away from this dreamy idea that we're going to live in this eternal blissful state forever you know it's just
0: not how things go Do you like you you tackle the the problem of like a lot of people who want to actually transfer consciousness into a machine? And you tackle the problem of doing that, like if you take your consciousness or whatever uh, you know, you scan your brain or whatever, 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 ever (laughs) can't speak it, whatever other ways you try to transfer consciousness. Um, what you end up having is a duplicate now you have a copy, and if you have if you exist at the same time that your copy exists now you 're at that point, your copy is now having a different experience in life so like is there any possible ways around this, or what have people proposed for that Yeah, no, there is no other way there is no way around it. It would just
1: be a copy. it would just be your twin uh, and the moment um, that you Are living a different life of any kind from the copy it's no longer you it's just a copy of you and no twin looks at their sibling and thinks there I go Uh, and so when even if this were able to be done that is copy every last synaptic connection in your brain so that you've recorded all the memories in there in high fidelity um, which is not possible for Mm -hmm. for lots of reasons but even if it were um, it that's not you it's just a copy of you now the People that are into this, they say, so what? Each of the copies thinks it's you. So as long as one of them thinks it's you, then it's you. But, it, but eventually, you know, you're going to die. So if you moved it onto some other platform, the memories, the, the connectome, onto some other platform, your point of view is not going to go with it. It's just, again, a copy. The, the perspective of what it's like to be you, that subjective personal experience is gone when you die. Um, so the copy is not going to carry with it your point of view self.
0: Hmm.
1: And, and therefore, uh, you know, it it can't, it can't be done. And there's additional problems. I mean, you're not yourself at any one snapshot in time. So if you say like, well, by the way, religions have the same problem. If, if if you die and go to heaven and there's Jesus and God and the whole thing, at, at what age are you when you're sitting there? Um, you know, at 30, at 60, um, you know, and, and, uh, and so let's say it's, you know, you're in perfect physical health. Well, first of all, how does God resurrect you physically such that you don't grow old and die from disease? Well, they, you know, the, he, he, he fixes it so that you don't get disease. Well, then that's not you. It's a different you. It's a different body. Um, and it's it's like, well, okay, it's just your soul. It's just all your memories of yourself. That's your soul. Yeah, but The memories of, say, when I was 30 are quite different now that I'm in my 60s than they were when I was in my 30s. In my 30s, I had memories about being 30, say, that are different than the memories I have now of what it was like when I was 30. So even the idea of just copying your memories as a snapshot of yourself, that's also not true. That isn't you. (laughs) It's just a snapshot, a temporary, just one slice of you at one moment.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's the problem with that.
0: Yeah, I think if we were able to go back, if we were somehow able to create duplicates of ourselves from different periods of time, we'd be talking to almost the complete strangers. Like we have some sort of memory of this person and uh their uh, their beliefs and experiences. But um like you know, from my own experience I've had all sorts of different beliefs throughout life, and some of them were were not so great and not really founded in, in a reason in the past, but then you know you grow older hopefully and and uh, come to a better understanding and then you're like, oh, that guy you know that old me was stupid you know I think we you know it's a it's a big problem to have to you know which which us do we copy right that's right and and going forward too we we also plan about our future
1: selves as if it's somebody different uh you know I think well, I better put aside some money now for retirement or, or maybe, you know, tonight I'll lay out my workout clothes in the for the morning because I know when I wake up that future self of me is going to be different than the me sitting here right now. I'm going to be sleepy. I'm going to be unmotivated. I'm going to try to find excuses why I shouldn't work out. So I, I need to now uh, uh, do things to trick that future self into doing what I know he's not going to want to do, as if it's somebody else I'm thinking about. <laughs> it's not. It's me.
0: That, that kind of brings up the uh, duality, kind of the, uh, or I think something or part of your book you mentioned, or was quoted about our natural tendency towards uh, dualism. Like we are always kind of thinking of of two uh, us's, Like like oh my my body hurts. It's not I hurt. Uh, which also brings up strange, Like if we're trying to also reach goals, for example, losing weight, we have our impulses, which say, you know, eat the chocolate now, but that goes against our better wishes, which is to have the slimmer body or or more muscular body too.
1: That's right, yep. Um, So really the whole notion of selfhood is... Is pretty questionable it's something of an illusion um, I mean our physical bodies are not that the, the same bodies material wise that they were a decade ago all the molecules are recycled and it's you know new new atoms in there um, with a, p- a few exceptions apparently there's some cells that, 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 that we have forever but most of them are recycled so it's not it's not your physical self it's the pattern of you and that pattern your, your g- genome and your connectome that's also always changing uh, and so, you know, it's a real problem. And we have this illusion that we're a self, a, a unit, and it's good; it works. That's a good illusion to have uh, for you know walking around the world and functioning. But uh, the moment you start to think about, well, I'm going to copy it, and and it's going to live forever, and so on. No, that that's you know that that, that there the illusion then begins to break
0: down. Yeah, I think a lot of it kind of um, it's on an idea that we're we are our memories, and that's partially true. We we are. A lot of us or our personalities have to do with our memories and our experiences, but there's also so many chemical factors that come into play too, like our emotions or our, our tendency, you know, certain people's tendency to be more angry or more happy or m- more this or that, right, which is, has a lot of different uh, complicated chemical responses in the body and the brain.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, exactly right. So, you know, really all we can do is just kind of, you know, try to make the best of what of this world, which, you know, is a lot. That's, there's much to celebrate uh, and and be and have gratitude for the fact that we are the we are the lucky ones uh, because most people who uh, could have been born never were born you know the, and and that that number is Doc, Richard Dawkins makes this point quite poetically in the opening page of his book on weaving the rainbow uh, that you know, most that you know that the the people that could have been born that never were born, um, you know, is vastly more than all the grains of sand on the on the planet. You know, we're we're the lucky few, and so even though we're gonna we're gonna die, at least we get to live. Most people don't get to die because they never get to live. So that's something pretty special.
0: Yeah, I agree. Even people who were actually conceived, there's like a very high mortality rate for fetuses, right? There's uh, miscarriages, a lot of them.
1: Oh, yes, not to mention uh, that, of course.
0: There was about 100 billion people who preceded us. Like, There's only seven, about seven billion, 7 billion people living on the Earth right now, but that's only about 7% of all the people who have ever existed.
1: That's right, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, it's one of these interesting questions. It's now become fairly popular to know this little factoid about our species. 100 billion people live before us. But that was pretty, pretty unknown a few years ago, and it's a staggering idea. Uh, you know, of how many people have come and gone, and not one of them has returned, at, at least not to the evidentiary standards of science, uh, you know, so I deal with that in the book, near-death experiences, reincarnation, anomalous experiences, aren't these evidence for the afterlife? No, they're not, not not to the standards of science, and so really we're just left with, um, you know, what we have, what we know, uh, and and the here and now, so my concern about this obsession with the afterlife, either religiously or scientifically, is that you're going to miss this life. And you know, whether, whether or not there's a heaven or an afterlife, I mean, no one knows for sure one way or the other. Uh, so I'm not making a de- dogmatic statement about that. But I am saying that since we don't know, and what we do know for sure is that we have a here and now, make the most of it.
0: Yeah, you got to stop and smell the flowers and actually live right now because, well, once you're dead, there's nothing, nothing certain.
1: That's right. Yep. Right. I mean, you won't even know, and this is another problem. <laughs> um, you know, to say you know, if you ask people to picture themselves dead, you know, they 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 have a conscious. Image in their mind of you know there there's my body in the casket and my friends and family and loved ones are there hopefully mourning, <laughs> uh, but of course you you wouldn't see anything you wouldn't experience anything it'd be like going under general general anesthesia there's just nothing yeah or or dreamless sleep you know you just you know boom boom lights out you wake up and you have no idea how much time has elapsed but in this in the case of death you just don't wake up uh, there's yeah, even when anesthesiologists put you to sleep, you know that's that's not what they're doing. It's not sleep. It's something completely. You just are losing consciousness. It's just gone. And uh, in the case of anesthesia, thank God you come back. Uh, in the case of death, you don't you don't come come back. You just go to where you were before you were born, which is nowhere. And but even words like nowhere and nothing, you know, there's a there's a where that there is no of, or there's a thing. <laughs> There's a thing that that doesn't exist. It's not even that. I mean, it's almost like trying to imagine there is no universe. Just picture no universe. You know, no planets, no stars, no galaxies. Okay, it's just black, just empty space. No, no, there's no space or time either. There's no light. There's nothing. You know, and at some point, you just hit hit an epistemological wall or even a linguistic wall where you just, you can't even talk about it. There's nothing to picture or imagine. Uh, and that is what I think death is like. It's just nothing, uh, and you know, so anyway, you know I'm happy to be proven wrong. <laughs> you know if I if you know I die and I wake up and you know it's I'm up there in heaven or whatever. It's like oh my god. Okay, well so what? Here we go. <laughs> we'll find out then.
0: On to the next step.
1: The, the, yeah, if there is a next step, sure.
0: Yeah, it seems like people are well. People have been always been searching for this next step or the 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 better thing. I think a lot of people's beliefs in, in heavens have to do with uh, relieving pain and suffering because maybe they had a bad go in, in this life and they've seen people suffer or they've suffered themselves and they're like, oh, so there must be this better place, obviously, because you know, this gonna be the, all there is.
1: Yep, well, um, so that, that is a motive for some people um, that uh, if, you know, if I'm going to die or you know, if there's some reward in the next life or whatever, then you know, I should work towards something. So first, uh, if you're if that does motivate you to do good, then, you know, great. And you know, I, I don't I don't really care about people's motives as long as their actions are good and 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 praiseworthy and, and help humanity. That's fine. Um, but my again, my fear about obsessing about the afterlife too much is that you miss this life or or. It, or if you're existentially depressed and you can't get around the problem and then you don't want to act at all, that's not good either. So that you don't want to be too optimistic or too pessimistic. <laughs> and That's why I'm a I'm a realist, a, sort of a, an optimistic realist, put it that way.
0: On the topic of duality and uh, actually on the brain, um, an idea that I've seen many times, and I even, I've even had arguments with people on this in the past about how the brain, the brain isn't you. Like, you know, it, it seems, it seems fairly clear that at least that we're, our personalities, or most of our personalities and our memories, obviously, are coming in the brain. But there's people who argue, and you mentioned this in the book as well, that the brain is almost like a, um, or, or I might have seen this in one of your other uh, lectures. But the brain is kind of like a uh, a TV with an antenna, right? And the, you know, we're getting our personalities and everything uh, broadcast to us, right?
1: Yeah. So that's that, that's right. And so, if that's what consciousness is like, where's the broadcaster? Or you know what 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 is the broadcaster and where is it located? Uh, this was in my um, dialogue with uh, Deepak Chopra that I, yeah. I I discuss in that chapter on him and and, and Western Buddhism uh, and the Eastern traditions of a way of thinking about life and death not as as a thing to a place to go to but just consciousness a, a, a temporary instantiation of consciousness in a physical. A realm, and then when you die, you just return to the conscious state that you were before you were born. Uh, so, you know, they, they reject all that. Well, okay, uh, how do you know this is true, you know, and that, you know, consciousness is pervasive, and the brain is just a way of tuning into the conscious state that's out there somewhere, like a television set. Mm. Well, okay, that's a, it's an interesting analogy, but with television sets, we know there are broadcasting stations that send those signals out that are television sets pick up where is the equivalent of that for brains to pick up the signals of consciousness where are they coming from uh you know now Deepak's answer is they're just everywhere you know consciousness is the he calls it the ground of being he says that it's the ontological primitive you know so here again the, the, the problem of language is substantial that um how do you talk about you know something that Uh, we, you know, I don't know what those words mean. So I'm constantly asking Deepak, what do you mean by ontological primitive or the ground of being? And and I know where he gets those things. He gets them from theologians because they talk about, they use the same language to describe God, (laughs) Hmm. you know, uh, you know, God consciousness, you know, it's all this kind of fuzzy
0: language
1: and I don't think that's useful.
0: Yeah. He he seems to use the word consciousness pretty much to describe everything. I, I think, um, Words kind of lose their meaning when you use it to describe everything. That's why we have lots of words because we have, there's so many different things to describe. Yep, that's right.
1: So, I mean, all we have are our thoughts, and then we transduce our thoughts into words because that's the only way to communicate our thoughts to other people. So, language is really important, and you know, semantic precision is is crucially important in science so that we. Uh, And so we're we're talking about the same thing when we're dialoguing or debating, or else you're just talking past each other. You
0: know, Mm -hmm. it's like
1: liberals and conservatives talking about equality. They almost always mean something different. You know, conservatives are usually talking about equality of opportunity, and liberals are talking about equality of outcomes. And, you know, these are two very different things. I don't want to overly characterize left and right, but just say the word equal can mean different things to different people, which is why I don't like using labels like libertarian or feminist or or conservative or liberal because people have a lot of baggage that goes with those words. And so then they don't think about you anymore as a person and, and what are your ideas What's your position on abortion, death penalty, immigration, whatever? Uh, it's just like, oh, you're X, so therefore, I already know what you think. You know, that, and that's not good.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. It seems like a lot of people who also adopt certain ideologies, they kind of do take it as more or less as a package. Like, you know, if if you, for many cases, like a conservative, some conservatives will be like, oh yeah, well, I don't, I don't believe in. Um, well, I'm a conservative politically, so I'm not going to believe in global warming either, right? Like, that, that's an oversimplification, but I, I see this quite a bit.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, so, again, you know, it's care—it's important to be, uh, well, apply the principle of of charity that, you know, assume the best intentions on the part of somebody um, and if they, you know, so that when they misspeak or they, they, they phrase something slightly off, uh, you know that, that that you don't assume that the worst about them. You know, give them the, the benefit of the doubt. The principle of the benefit of the doubt. You know, I think you're probably a good person. And you misspoke. Would you like to clarify what you meant, please? Rather than you know, you scumbag loser, I'm going <laughs> to destroy you. You know, this this is this is what happens on um, Twitter, of course, social media. Oh, yeah. in you know, it's it's not a good it's not a conducive platform for intelligent dialogue.
0: Yeah, no, I know. Unfortunately, it's also become a a major platform that that is the news now. Like reporters go on Twitter and just take, you know, say Twitter storm. There's a Twitter storm or Twitter fights. But, like, you know, I've seen all these uh, ridiculous headlines um, ba- just based on like people's opinions tweeted out on, on Twitter, um, which are usually, I think, in many cases, like somebody is just typing their, their raw emotions. You know, they saw something or heard something and they just spewed yeah. on Twitter. Not much thought involved. Yeah, that's right. Being
1: on social media is a little bit like driving in your car with the windows up, flipping people off right and left, and cutting them off and cursing at them. <laughs> and, you know, if, you, if you had to get out of the car, it would be a different story entirely.
0: Have you ever seen that old, um, oh God, no, I can't even remember his name, There's this comedian, he made this hilarious skit where you know, if, if the internet was real life, um, I think that's something along the titles of the, the skit, anyways, he's walking through the mall, uh, Dave Chappelle. Dave, old, oh, old Dave Chappelle's yeah. kid. He's walking through the mall, and like, you know, there was the um, the music store. People, like, there's an alarm going off, and people are running in there to grab music because it's, you know, it's just a a, a grab and go kind of thing. And there's all these other weird scenarios and stuff. It's kind of like um, people treating Twitter like real life is kind of uh, ridiculous too. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Back on the topic again of the brain, one thing I was going to bring up. It seems like oh, I'll call it a neuroplasticity loophole. It seems like a lot of people bring up neuroplasticity, probably saying it wrong, as an argument about how that why the brain isn't actually you. You know, because sometimes you know the, the brain will find workarounds or, or ways to deal with, with trauma or a accident injuries, and the person can still recover and exactly. actually be themselves.
1: That's right, and that's another argument against um, you as a fixed self. I mean, we have to think of the self as this kind of um, a a loose, fuzzy parameter around, just think of a giant sphere that's constantly, you know, bending and flexing and and moving. But you do have kind of a core set of, of, um, let's say, temperament, personality characteristics, you know, intelligence, emotions. And so on. Like we know, for example, from the big five personality uh, dimensions Ocean, O C E A N, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, introversion, uh, O C E A, agreeableness versus disagreeableness, and and neuroticism. Um, And so, and we know from behavior genetic studies that at least half or more of those temperamental, uh, temperament, characteristics are heritable that is you're just kind of born that way and we we know this we know people just intuitively some people are sort of happy-go-lucky positive easygoing others are are much more difficult they're pessimistic they're nasty Uh, they're unhappy they're depressed you know a lot of that's just just uh, hardwired in just from brain chemistry from genes But, but 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 even even if it's only if it's half that's a lot but that gives you half to work with that you can do something about again back to our programming your future self you know if you know that going into this particular environment let's say a, a party an office party and you're shy you're introverted you don't like you're not very gregarious you don't like big groups you know well you can there are workarounds you, well, you can just not go but you can go with a friend and you you know you're, you're wingman so to speak and you just hang with that person or you yeah you find one small group to talk to for a long time or you you hang out at the food table and and just talk to one person at a time you know this but, but knowing that about yourself this is where bol- human volition comes in i think that you know knowing that these are the determining factors or influencing factors in my life i can i can do workarounds and uh, in a way i think that's what we we do in society we try to tilt the incentives to get people to behave more morally and, and be more generous and giving so we give tax breaks for Uh, if you make donations to charitable organizations and that sort of thing. These are all ways of, you know, working with what we have, even if it's heavily determined or or influenced by these other variables. that we don't have control, you know, in terms of, you know, self-help and what you can do to help yourself, there's a lot. Even if it's, you know, half genetics, there's still a lot of environment left that you can manipulate.
0: Is this something you've kind of um, implemented in your own life? I guess uh, understanding your your basic psychology and then kind of working around it and and doing things to kind of tr- trick yourself, even though you're conscious of them.
1: I do. I, I'm not always successful at it. <laughs> I, I, I probably fail every day. You know, it's like I, I really, really shouldn't eat that. You know, chocolate chip cookie, and and most of the day I'm pretty good. I I don't really want it, but you know, there's a period of time from like seven to nine at night when I really would like a chocolate chip cookie or a piece of cake or something like that. You know, so if I can distract myself by doing something else or having you know eating later, you know, something. Or, like, if I'm done teaching my class at 7, if I can get in my car and hit the road to go home before, and and not stop by that store across the street from my car that has chocolate chip cookies, you know. And, and so I try to trick myself into, you know, doing that, knowing that that's a particular weakness of mine, you know. And I, I think, you know, everybody has those. And so to that extent, I think sometimes the self-help books sort of work my I, – I, I'm not a big fan of all, uh, that whole body of literature, but I – I just recently bought um, Jocko Wilnick's uh, mm. book on uh, discipline and freedom, uh, a field guide. He's a um, ex um, Navy SEAL, and so you know his discipline is his whole thing. You know, so I'm never going to be a Navy SEAL, but th- just the idea of, uh, of you know having somebody you know that does this better than you, and you kind of look up to them. They're a role model, and you try to pattern your behavior after that. You know, you might improve just a little bit, even if it's just you know one percent better, ten percent better. That's worth something.
0: Probably has a cumulative effect over time as well. You know, if you're e- if you're eating one less chocolate bar a day, that can have a big effect on the how how much you weigh in ten years. Totally
1: yes, because that's how you got fat in the first place.
0: <laughs> exactly,
1: one chocolate bar a day. You know, well, so I, the, the idea you can diet and, and erase a year's worth of crappy dieting diets. Uh, in, you know, two weeks, you know, January 1st, the 15th, and it's not working, I give up, you know. Uh, it took you a year to get there, it's going to take you a year to get get off unless you just go starve yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly, you no, it takes a little, people kind of... Um I think people have a lack of uh, balancing on these on these points here. like you know they, they don't realize how long it took them to get to that point where they're out, so out of shape in the first place, but now it's like you know they want to have the instant gratification, the instant results to uh, look look or feel the way they want to.
1: Yeah, so you really need to um, you know do this every day. I mean even uh, even if it's just moving something, get up, get out, walk. You know, it doesn't have to be a massive workout thing where you drive to the gym and you got to park and check in and change your clothes and, you know, ends up eating up a couple hours of your day, even if you're just walking around, uh, you know, just something, anything is better than nothing, you know, and and that's, and it doesn't matter how many times you fail, you know, to three times a week I failed to do it, it's okay, just try, just tomorrow, do, do it again and do it again.
0: Yeah, exactly, it doesn't have to be perfect to work.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, if you're aiming for perfection, then that's not that's not good.
0: So we're almost coming to a close here. Now, your your book has just been released today. If people want to go and uh, get a download or to get the hard copy, where would they go?
1: Uh, well, so you know, find bookstores everywhere I carry carry my books, and uh, if you want an autograph copy uh, Sorry, my dog. <laughs> my dog is very excited about the book. You know, <laughs> uh, if you want an autograph copy, go to skeptic.com and type in "Heavens on Earth" and, and that'll pop up, and you can order it. And I'll, I'll even personalize it if you if you want. Or of course, Amazon, uh, the online book carriers are are the cheapest way. I mean, they they deep deep discount books. I'm always amazed people still buy books from bookstores, and and I do because I, I like to support the local brick and mortar um, bookstores because I, I still I like that. Mm-hmm. But, I'm kind of old school in that regard, but really, Amazon is so cheap, it's just amazing they can do this. Uh, So those are the sources, bookstores, skeptic.com or Amazon.
0: Okay, well, I'll be sure to include a link uh, wherever I can to skeptic.com and maybe to uh, Amazon as well to send people directly to the most convenient (laughs) way to purchase your book. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Michael. No, Thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate your insights and your new book is great. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is Eddie Baller with Michael Schirmer. Thanks for listening to the Conquer and Win podcast. Conquer your challenges and become a stronger man in life and business by joining the community on conquerandwin.com. Until next time, stay strong. Music credit goes to David Fow on YouTube at Free Metal Songs.